This week, I sat down with Dr. Kara Palmer. Dr. Palmer runs and directs the Sleep and Development Lab here at MSU, or SAD Lab, and she completed her PhD in Lifespan Developmental Psychology at West Virginia University, and then continued for a postdoctoral research fellowship in clinical child psychology at the University of Houston. We talk about sleep and its importance and prevalence, and at the end, there's some added tips and tricks for better sleep. Hope you guys enjoy. What is sleep? So sleep is a um, state where we become temporarily uh, less conscious than we are when we're awake, but it is reversible. And so I think one thing that we've learned over the last 50 years or so is that there's actually quite a lot happening while we're sleeping. You know, I think previously people tended to think of sleep as this thing where okay, you'd go to bed and your body kind of turns off and then you wake up and you're just ready to go for the day. Um, so it was almost like turning off a robot, right? And like charging them up and then turning them back on. But now we know just based on the technology that we have to be able to record sleep and understand sleep better, we now know that that's actually not the case at all. And there's quite a bit going on in our bodies and in our brains when we're sleeping. And actually, in some cases, sometimes there's even more happening while we're sleeping than might be happening while we're awake. And do we know the function of sleep? Do we know what its purpose is? <laughs> that's a great question. That's the million dollar question is why <laughs> do we sleep? Um, and so there have been a handful of different theories as to why we sleep. So one model is like this dishwasher model that while we're sleeping, our brain literally is just like flushing out all the waste from the day and that allows us to be more efficient over time. And I know there's some more recent work that's come out that shows that if people aren't getting adequate sleep, they're actually more likely to go on to develop Alzheimer's later on. And I think it's because that sort of like flushing out period isn't happening in the way it's supposed to. I think probably more... Um, and there's there's definitely some truth to that theory. I would say I tend to take a pretty comprehensive approach when I think about sleep and the function of sleep, and that's that sleep has many different functions and purposes. Um, I think it's really hard to pinpoint one exact reason why we're sleeping. Um, I think it serves a lot of different functions in terms of our daytime life and yeah. our ability to survive and be functional people in society. And so I think it's doing quite a bit of quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean we spend a third of our life asleep. It's a pretty significant amount of time. I think if it only had one purpose, it would be not the most efficient way to go right. about that. So I think it's really serving a lot of purposes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like that biological cost is so high time wise or even like resource wise like metabolically like there has to be something it's doing exactly and so if you look at um I mean honestly I feel like I've yet to find something that's not impacted by sleep in some way (laughs) so if you think about yeah like metabolic metabolic health um cardiovascular health um immune system functioning all of those are greatly impacted by sleep If we think about psychological outcomes, we know that your social functioning, your emotional functioning, um, your ability to remember and learn information, all of that is so dependent on the sleep that you're getting. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's an important correlation between sleep and sleep quality and development and emotional Mm well-being. 
Do you want to extrapolate on that or explain that Yeah, of course. And that's a lot of what the research that we do in our lab focuses on. And so there have been a number of studies that have looked at sleep early in development, so in childhood and research uh, shows pretty strong and robust associations between early persistent sleep problems and later mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And I think, uh, I mean, sleep is important regardless of your age, but if we think about some of the developmental changes that are happening during childhood, there's a lot happening neurologically. There's a lot of development that's occurring Children's brains are not fully developed. Um, There's still a lot going on. Um, And we know that a lot of brain-related development actually occurs during sleep. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like synaptic pruning, a lot of that happens during sleep. So if you have kids who really need to be going through adequate and adaptive neurological development at a time when it's really critical for them, and then they're not getting sleep during that stage, I think it can pretty drastically impact not only their functioning at that moment, but also over time. Over time and like eventually like as an adult, right? Exactly, right. And so within developmental psychology, when we're thinking about how early experiences might impact somebody over the course of a lifespan, we talk about this idea of like sensitive periods. There are certain Mm -hmm. stages of your life where, you know, you need to have adequate resources for development. And so I think if we are thinking about, and again, I think sleep is important regardless of the age, but if we're thinking about times where sleep might be even more important, I would say childhood um, is a time where it's really necessary that kids yeah. are getting adequate sleep because yeah. of all of those changes that we're seeing. Yeah, because I've heard about like the protective role of sleep mm-hmm. in development or for like emotional functioning. So like what, what does sleep do that is like protective against like emotional turbulence? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So I think it's operating in a few different ways. So one way is that having a good night's sleep sort of sets the stage for us to have a good day emotionally, right? So if you are feeling well-rested and calm, um, you're much better able to handle stressors when you encounter those. Um, You're able to engage in better self-control, so you're not going to act out of emotion as much as you might otherwise. And so I think that's one way that it's helpful. Um, And in some of our research, you know, we've shown that in both adults and kids, when they don't get a good night's sleep, they tend to react in a couple different ways. One way is that they're hyper-emotional, so they tend Mm. to respond more strongly to emotional events, or they tend to be really blunted. So things that are supposed to be really exciting and positive just don't really affect them. And that's a, a normal thing, right? If there's something good that happens, you're supposed to react positively to that. And that's part of the joy of being a person and being a child is being able to experience things like joy. Um, And so that's one way that I think sleep impacts some of these emotional types of functioning that we see. The other way is that it actually might change the way that we remember emotional events over time. So if you have an emotional event happen to you during the day and then you sleep that night, your brain is going through a set of complex processes that's allowing you to process and remember that event, but also cope with that event over time. Yeah. And is that mostly occurring in REM, that emotional processing, or is that slow wave sleep, or is that undecided at the moment? Um, so that's also a very good <laughs> question. Um, so we're pretty sure that REM plays a strong role okay. in that process. So one thing that we see happen during REM, if it's operating the way it should in, in healthy sleepers, what we see is that 
people are consolidating emotional memories while they're sleeping during REM sleep. Um, but at the same time, that emotional tone that's associated with that event, so any type of emotional arousal that's associated with that, um, tends to be reduced mm. over time. And so we have pretty strong evidence that that's happening during REM. I've seen some more recent uh, research articles that have come out that suggest that slow wave sleep may also play a role in some of that overnight processing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're still learning a lot about that. Um, I don't think we're quite clear on the mechanisms and how that might be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some evidence that shows that if you experience something really stressful or negative and you go to sleep that night, that slow wave sleep might help dissipate some of those emotional mm-hmm. experiences. Um, and if you look across a range of different mental health disorders like depression, PTSD, even anxiety, you do tend to see some disruptions in things like REM sleep and slow wave sleep. And then there's also even more interesting and like perplexing is there seems to be a bidirectional relationship between emotions and sleep. Definitely. And so it's one of those things where, you know, if you have a bad night's sleep, Um, You know, the next day you might be experiencing your negative events more negatively. Um, You might not really be experiencing the positive emotions you're supposed to um, when you're experiencing good things. And then if you think about what it's like to go to bed at night, if you had this negative thing happen and you can't stop thinking about it, and we know that sleep problems make people like catastrophize negative events more too. So then you have this emotional day because you had a poor night's sleep, and then that night you have a hard time sleeping because you're emotional, and it's sort of like the cyclical cycle. Right. Mm-hmm. And like the people that probably need sleep the most are probably people that have the hardest time falling asleep or getting adequate sleep, like people with depression or anxiety or Absolutely. PTSD. Absolutely. And you see actually the majority of people with depression and anxiety disorders do have sleep problems. The thing that I think is most fascinating and one of the reasons why I became very interested in sleep to begin with, um, because my training started off in psychological health and the development of depression and anxiety. And then once I started to get involved in sleep research, this bidirectional relationship is there. But more often than not, it's sleep predicting the onset of those disorders Sometimes the other way around, but it seems to be that sleep tends to be the precursor to a lot of these emotional problems. Super interesting. Um, kind of like yeah. a biological marker that a person might develop. Potentially, um, yeah. And so people have discussed um, uh, like altered REM sleep, for example, mm. as being a possible biomarker for the onset of later depression. Yeah. Um, and they've shown actually that um, people who have genetic risk for depression who do go on to develop the disorder are the people who have that altered REM sleep. Whereas people who might have genetic risk for the disorder because they have relatives with it, um, but who don't have the altered REM um, tend to fare much better. Wow. Mm-hmm. How can people sleep better? Um, like- <laughs> that's, again, that's another million dollar question. Um, probably a multi-million dollar question. Actually. So I think it really depends on the type of, of sleep problem that somebody's having Mm. or why they're not getting enough sleep. One thing that I see time and time again is you have people who don't necessarily have a sleep problem, but they're not getting enough sleep because they're simply not getting enough sleep. Um, It's just a matter of prioritizing it. Um, And I think it's easier said than done because our society is not really set up to prioritize Mm -hmm. sleep. 
Um, and in fact, I've, I've even people knowing I do sleep stuff, people brag to me sometimes about like pulling all nighters and um, it's not something I think as a society we should be proud of when we do <laughs> stuff like that. And so I think making sure that you're making adequate time for sleep is a good first step. And then in terms of just general tips, you know, keeping a set sleep schedule can be really helpful yeah. too. If you're continually adjusting when you're going to sleep and when you're waking up, um, that can be problematic because it's almost resetting your circadian rhythm. So if you stay up a little bit later than usual or go to bed a little bit earlier than usual, and if that's varying by a couple hours, your body thinks almost like you're changing time zones, mm. right? Like, yeah. And so your body is trying to adjust to that, and that just kind of throws everything off. Mm. Um, so keeping not just enough time to sleep, but also keeping a regular sleep schedule and making that a priority, I would say, is probably step one. And then from there, uh, if you find that you're having a hard time falling asleep, just practicing good sleep hygiene. So, for example, like limiting light exposure at Mm. night, doing things that are relaxing and calming before bed, you know, thinking about everything that's stressing you out (laughs) right before you sleep is not conducive to sleep because that's when our bodies and our minds are supposed to be calming down. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you're taking time to relax I would say those are some some yeah. main tips. Yeah, and I think the one that gets like grossly like ignored is the electronics and like screen time before bed. Mm-hmm. Especially because like blue light doesn't it hit the retina and then decrease melatonin production. Right. So um, when we feel sleepy, so we feel sleepy for two reasons. One is that you know the longer we've been awake, the sleepier we are. So if you have been awake all day, you're going to get sleepier mm. as you get closer to bedtime. And the other reason why we get tired is our circadian rhythm. So our body has a natural clock where our body starts to release melatonin. So it's a mm. hormone that makes us feel sleepy. And generally, it tends to release that hormone at approximately the same time each night if you're following a regular schedule. The only thing is melatonin is very susceptible to different environmental influences. And the biggest one is light. So if you are exposing yourself to a lot of bright light and specifically blue light late at night, your body thinks that it's daytime and it's time to be awake. And so it suppresses the release of melatonin, which prevents you from feeling Mm -hmm. sleepy. And unfortunately, um, the things that we use so often at night is screens. Um, So whether it's phones, tablets, computers, watching TV, um, and screens specifically release blue light, which is the type of light that melatonin is most susceptible to being suppressed It's like the worst thing you could possibly do before bed is look at a phone or something like that. I know. And I, I think people are becoming more aware of it. So I know like iPhones now have the option to decrease the light mm-hmm. um, on your phone. I've seen people like install like the Flux app that you can use to limit light. They mm-hmm. sell blue light glasses that you can buy. I think one thing that is important to note about that as those things help and I think people should absolutely be using them um, especially if you do need need to be on a screen at night um, for whatever reason for work yeah. or, or whatever um, but they don't block out all of the light so there's still some of that getting through yeah and then the whole set schedule there's something called social jet lag mm-hmm. right which is where and I think this is most pertinent to college students definitely where on the weekends you might have like a normal sleep schedule during the week Monday through Thursday Monday through Friday you go to bed at midnight you wake up at eight right to mm-hmm. 
pretty typical sleep pattern there. But then on the weekends, you find yourself staying up till one, two, three in the morning and sleeping in, and you get social jet lag where you your whole body is just thrown off by this delay of sleep. Definitely, and I think there's a you know, if you think about like some myths that are out there about sleep, which there are many, mm-hmm. um, one of them is this idea that you can like pay off sleep debt, right? So if you are sleep deprived throughout the week, which many Americans and people across the world are, so if you're, you know, not getting enough sleep during the week, that then you can just like catch up on that sleep on the weekend. Um, and that's what people often try to do. And yeah, so social jet lag is the term that we refer to that. If you look at the difference in the amount of sleep someone's getting during the week versus on the weekend. Um, and we actually use that difference score as an indicator of how sleep deprived someone actually is throughout their day-to-day life. And so what we see is that people who do that sleeping in on the weekend, it's just totally messing with your circadian rhythm and everything in our body has a circadian rhythm. A lot of our organs follow a different circadian rhythm. A lot of our hormone fluctuations follow circadian rhythms. And so when you're shifting that schedule again, if, you know, especially if it's by like a couple hours, it's just throwing your body off and it's not quite sure what time it is. Um, and so everything gets a little bit out of sync. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. can probably, I'm sure cause health disease or health issues rather down the road. Absolutely. If that's chronically the case. Absolutely. And that's something that has been coming out more and more in the scientific community is that Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, um, obviously like getting adequate sleep is good, but oftentimes if you look at the impact of just the amount of sleep someone's getting versus how consistent their sleep schedule is, a lot of times it's coming out that it's that consistency of the sleep schedule that's most Mm. important, even over above the amount of sleep that you're getting. Wow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I just want to like have a quick note about like sleep aids. Uh Uh-huh. Because I've heard they don't actually tend to work the same as actual sleeping. They're more of like Mm -hmm. a like muscle relaxant. It doesn't necessarily induce the same sleep. Mm-hmm. stages that your body would normally go through. Is that true? Yeah. And so it depends a little bit on the type of sleep aid that you're referring to. Um, of course, you know, people take things like Ambien, which yeah. does alter like your sleep architecture. A lot of times people might self-medicate in other ways too. So a really common one is just having like a nightcap, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I'll just have a drink before bed. And this is really common in people who have a hard time falling asleep. Um, because it helps people relax, it calms your body down. And so it's useful in the sense that it does actually help you fall asleep. Unfortunately, though, it tends to lead to more fragmented sleep throughout the night. Um, and it suppresses REM sleep too. Mm. So though it may help you fall asleep, it's not necessarily giving you the right type of sleep that you need. So yeah. Cool. And if people have more questions about sleep or about you mm-hmm. or what we're doing in the lab, what where should they go? What should they look at? Um, so people are always more than welcome to check out our website. So msusleeplab.org. You can always send me an email as well. So kara.palmer at montana.edu. Um, and I'm more than happy to address any questions people might have. You know, we talked about some ways to address sleep problems and getting more sleep if somebody doesn't necessarily have a sleep disorder, right? And that's not mm-hmm. always the case. Um, so if, if people are prioritizing sleep and making time for sleep and they're practicing good sleep hygiene and I'm still having a difficult time sleeping for whatever reason or still feel tired during the day, 
possible there could be other things going on. And so I definitely recommend either reaching out to our lab or speaking to a doctor about that. Yeah. So yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for sitting down and going Absolutely. over. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you for So now some tips and tricks to help you fall asleep or help you stay asleep, hopefully. And one of the biggest ones you can do is actually increase bright light exposure during the day. So the body has a circadian rhythm. It has an internal clock. And this clock determines your wake and sleep cycles to a certain extent. And looking at bright light, especially within the first couple hours of waking up, has been shown to help people fall asleep. Another thing you can do is reduce blue light exposure in the evening. So we talked a little bit about this with Kara, but the blue light is emitted from screens and electronics like your phone or computer, and it suppresses melatonin secretion. And melatonin is that vital hormone that's needed for sleep. So exposure during the day is okay because it wakes you up, but late into the night, it's affecting that melatonin secretion and that circadian rhythm again. And so we want to limit that as much as possible. Some things you can do is you can buy blue blocking glasses, but those don't really block all of the blue light. So the best piece of advice is just put the phone down, put the laptop away, fall asleep reading a book instead of watching Netflix. A third thing you can do is don't consume caffeine late in the day. Now this is tricky because if you're tired, you're going to be drinking copious amounts of coffee to compensate. But the problem is, is caffeine has an extremely long half-life, meaning that molecule stays in your body far longer than you probably wish it would. So by the time you're falling asleep, if you've had, you know, a double latte at 12 o'clock at lunchtime to get through the afternoon slump, you still have caffeine circulating in your body and that's making it harder for you to sleep. Speaking of drinking, another thing you want to do is avoid drinking alcohol before you go to bed. It's super common for people to have a nightcap to kind of calm down and relax, but this is actually altering sleep patterns and suppressing melatonin. It has also been shown to suppress human growth hormone, which is released while the body is sleeping and is critical for circadian rhythm and repair. Another thing you would want to do instead is to maybe optimize your bedroom and make sure that it's the right temperature, that the blankets are right, make sure you're relaxed, maybe do a bedtime meditation is super helpful. And the last thing is setting up a bedtime routine. As naive as that may sound, that's really important for getting your brain in a good mental spot to be like, I'm going to bed now, it's time to go to sleep brush your teeth, take a warm shower, drink some tea, do some meditation at night, read a book, and slowly let your body fall asleep. And hopefully this will establish a consistent wake and sleep time. And this might be the hardest thing to achieve, going to bed at a certain time and waking up at a certain time consistently throughout the week. With Kara, we talked a little bit about social jet lag, and that is when you are staying up on the weekends or staying up for big tests during the semester, but really making sure that you are, you know, in a sense, respecting your body and what your body needs and falling asleep at a specific time and having that boundary for health is super important. If you guys haven't noticed already, I think sleep and the research certainly shows that sleep is super important for overall health. It has roles in metabolism, it has roles in 
you know, restoration it has roles in neurodegenerative diseases, in psychological functioning and emotional well-being, in optimization of performance. So sleep, I think, is really one of those critical pieces of human health, and it's probably one of the more neglected pieces of health in our society. So if you guys have any more questions or interest in sleep, you can always look up the MSU SAD lab. We have some great resources online. Feel free to reach out to Dr. Palmer. Her info is on Montana State University's um, website. Or you can reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about this. I love sleep. I love talking about it and what it can do for people. Hope you guys enjoyed.